You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the Staples Show. We're back on our regularly scheduled program. We brought a special guest along tonight. Uh, he is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino, and we are joined today by John Crick from the Toronto Sun. I got to tell you a story before we start here, John, because we had a amazing event this past weekend. Um, we were out at Wing Nuts, uh, a, a local uh, chicken wing chain. Well, now it's becoming a chain. They have two yeah. locations. And um, great wings, great times. We t- we met Bills fans. We they look good. Podcast. I saw you hold one up in uh, in a picture uh, in your yes. yeah, delicious. One person came up to me at the end of the night, and we were talking about some of their favorite shows, and they name dropped you specifically, saying that that was their favorite episode of the year. They just thought that you were super knowledgeable. They loved your um, insight, and I said, "That's a great point. We got to catch up with John because it's been since right before training camp." When we talk last, and we wanted to bring you back on the show, thank you so much for uh, giving us some of your time tonight. Oh, thanks for having me. I, I'm have, I have a blast every time I join you two guys, and uh, that's humbling to hear, and I appreciate that. You know, I'm maybe the guy had a few too many that night. I don't know, or I had a few dozen suicides. I don't know, but you know, <laughs> I'll take it. That's nice. Thank you. How are you, Ryan? Hey, doing well. And yeah, we had, we actually had some uh, visitors from Canada at the. Wingnut show as well that went over the border just to come see us. It was a really cool experience. Yes, we are going to talk more about that a little bit later because we might have a return engagement a little bit sooner than anybody expected. We're going to hit that later on tonight. Uh, But before we get into uh, the episode, let's hit uh, how you can win a million dollars right now. You can enter for a chance to win. Kings Hawaiian uh, each week is pitting two city sliders against each other in the ultimate showdown, and you get to help decide the winner. Vote weekly for your favorite regional slider for a chance to win all season long. Earn entries toward the $1 million prize. Explore the interactive stadium to play games, get recipes, share photos, so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone to enter. So, of course, breaking news this morning, Sean McDermott broke it, that uh, Micah Hyde, uh, and I tweeted out uh, my main story uh, on uh, Micah is up at the site, Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com. You can go read that right now. That these there's been whispers over the last couple of weeks about this, you know, the snowball, if you will, building around a potential Micah Hyde return. And then Sean McDermott drops the bombshell today that the 21 day practice window has been open, which means right now Micah Hyde is able to practice with the Bills. How that kind of develops over the course of the next week, few weeks, that's going to be a little bit more of a challenge for things because, sure, he's practicing now. And I think the idea is giving you the opportunity 
to bring him back into the mix. There's a couple factors at play here. Number one, he hasn't played football in over three months. He's coming off a very serious injury, and I think that he's going to have to probably lean back in a little bit slowly. And how much time do you have now? I mean, it's winter, go home time. And, you know, the Bills are playing the Dolphins this week, advantageous matchup. You're looking at maybe the Bengals next, maybe the Chiefs after that, if you get that far. It's going to be a, a really quick ramp up to get him, in, you know, up to speed in the mix. What are your thoughts here, John, on this? Got to be careful, especially like you say, coming off that kind of surgery. You got a safety. What's his job going to be in a playoff game against a team that wants to run the ball? Going to have to make a tackle. You're going to have to jump in there and fill and aggressively. You want your safeties to be healthy, I think, in any playoff game, especially if you think you know there's going to be uh, some crash down runs coming at you. Uh, certainly Cincinnati's doing that. Certainly Kansas City, uh, almost all the more by the week with Pacheco seems to be that type of team. So I would, and just given Sean's, uh, everybody knows this, this isn't a shot. This is just the way he is. He's going to err on the side of caution, especially when it comes to player health, especially this month and this year over any other. So if anyone's expecting to see him out there this week, I would think that maybe even next week, it might be a long shot just by, you know, you want to make sure this guy is 100% ready to go because you don't want to put him out there. And then, you know, the coaches, the opposing coaches in the press box look and go, yeah, you know, he's he's a little hesitant on coming up on some run fills or whatever. I'm not saying he's that type of player. If he's out there, he's going to give it his all. But um, those are kind of the considerations I think as coaches you have to you have to you have to think about before you uh, activate somebody and put him out there. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. And obviously, uh, there's the the medical aspect of it in terms of getting cleared, get, being able to uh, actually play his games. There's what Matt brought up, the fact that it's been quite a while since he's played in an actual football game, getting up to speed uh, in terms of being in football shape versus just being in great shape. There is a difference. And while Micah Hyde, you know, he's been doing things uh, on his own, I'm sure, to get ready for this opportunity, it's going to be different to to ramp up and get ready for a uh, potential game like this. So it, you want what's best for hide whether that means just uh seeing if he can do this and then maybe saying well you know what i don't think this is the 2023 that he was talking about in his tweet which he he alluded to i think we might have to hold off until september to get him involved as my puppy is just barking for no reason wow reggie's just getting after it over there i like he it is you know <laughs> ready to go my gosh we still got a few days to go here <laughs> on hide it's the vibe i got today just being inside the building was that this is more about the juice that I think it just brings with him being back out on the field with them, right? Like the energy that you get, I think it was Deion Dawkins said that it felt like Christmas, you know, this great news they got a couple of days ago on DeMar Hamlin. He's now, he's not only returned to Buffalo, but you know, passed all of his tests at Buffalo general, they sent him home. He's now uh, able to, you know, kind of get back to some amount of normalcy as he continues his re- rehabilitation and just, all the other stuff in the past, the weather games, the moving things around, the blizzard, all these kinds of things that the Bills have dealt with over the course of the last month, to get Micah Hyde back and to see him around the guys again because he was in that, that coaching role before. And I think that it helped him. I, I think it helped DeMar Hamlin, some of the younger players in that secondary, Dane Jackson, Kyer Elam, obviously. We're going to talk about him a little bit later. But I think this gives you, you know, at least a little bit of a spark you know, Jamison Crowder on the other side of the ball too. Just guys that are a part of the team that could be back a part of the team, like officially, even if it doesn't materialize in an actual return. Every step this team after the traumatic last week and a half, every step they can take back toward more normal or normalcy, if you will, 
is good. And it's good that we're talking about this. It might, it probably would have seemed uh, a week ago today, uh, a little inappropriate to talk about, well, how do you replace Salmon when everyone's like, we just want to see if he's going to live, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or come back and recover. So I think this helps the team exactly as you said, Matt, uh, take another step back toward normalcy where they can actually think and talk about, well, we are a, an important safety down right now right. that we weren't two weeks ago. And how are we going to fill that role? No one's talking about that much, just out of deference and an obvious concern uh, and, and for all the right reasons about uh, repa- replacing Damar. But the fact is, the playoffs start this week, and the Bills do have to replace Damar. Um, as you say, you know, maybe not, uh, you know, and I don't uh, want to completely write off the Dolphins' chances, but it would be one of the biggest playoff upsets of recent memory if the Bills don't win this game, in my opinion, just given all of the factors. Right. We learned about Tua Tonga Viola not being able to play. Um, and even Teddy Bridgewater, uncertain. We've seen how the Bills or the Jets operate. Uh, sorry, <laughs> how the Dolphins all operate. I'm thinking of the Jets game in particular when he actually played pretty well. Uh, we've seen how they operate other than that game uh, with Skyler in there. So, I mean, every little bit helps. And the fact that if, to go opposite of what I had said earlier, on the other hand, as far as, you know, how soon are they going to bring him back uh, or possibly bring Micah back, the other side of that is, would they even go this far if there weren't a good chance? I don't think they would do that either. So it's mm-hmm. some, the truth probably lies somewhere in there that he's probably uh, has a decent chance to come back. They're not going to fool him or people uh, that way, but maybe not this week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely not this week. And I think Dean Marlowe uh, can kind of handle the responsibilities sure. in a role opposite Jordan Poyer. Uh, then obviously, though, you know, Matt already mentioned it. It might be the Bengals next week, and then it could be the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, m- maybe next week even is a little bit too early, but if you can get him back for the, the AFC Championship, uh, or even if the Bills advance past there, the Super Bowl, that would be such a boost for this team uh, from a playing standpoint. Obviously, since Hyde has gone down, the secondary has had some more issues than what we can remember uh, in any other year since uh, Sean McDermott's come aboard. It just hasn't been as good on that back end as it usually is. So th- that would be huge from a playing perspective, a morale perspective. And like you said, they're not just doing this to do this. They think there is a chance he could come back at some point during this playoff run, as long as the Bills can continue to win in advance. Sure, right. I mean, if they should happen to uh, maybe be up big in one of the games, uh, if he's been activated, the first game he might be activated, presumably he's going to start. But, you know, if they get up big, they can pull him out early. Or vice versa, you know, have him activated as a backup and then go in later should the Bills get up big, perhaps, uh, and get him some experience. The more you get, the better. Look at Von Miller last year with the Rams, right? When, when they mm-hmm. traded him, he, I forget if it was an ankle or a foot or whatever the leg injury was, but he didn't come back right away. And when he did, it took a while for him to become Von Miller again. Once mm-hmm. he did, by I believe it was early December, if I, if I recall, when his impact started to be huge, that's when the Rams became a different team not just a different defense and a different team uh, because now who are you going to block Aaron Donald? You know, it was, he was at a, at his high uh, career output level at that point in time. Well, the bills are in a position. And I, I don't know if it's you, Matt, somebody tweeted today uh, on the beat uh, that the bills arguably could be more healthy uh, entering the playoffs than at any time since week one. Right. Hmm. I haven't gone down the roster player by player, but that's an important point because teams typically are fighting attrition. They're not bringing 
their best players back as you get closer to the playoffs. It's the other way around. I always joke where some people say, you know, oh, you know, whatever the team was a couple of years ago, I think it might have been the Chiefs or the Eagles or the Bears, one of those teams, I think, went into the playoffs game and they had nobody in the injury report. Well, that's because they just put some of their best players on IR. Well, right. you know, it's 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 an active roster injury report. It's not your overall team injury report, and people have to remember that. Well, if the Bills can go kind of the inverse of that path uh, and start bringing back some of the better players, the confidence that it would give them, especially, you know, before Bengals and Chiefs and whoever they might meet in the Super Bowl, presuming they keep winning, the, the confidence will just, uh, it'll just explode on the team, I would think. Think about, you know, the November, the Vikings loss, you know, Josh Allen's elbow, the snow, you know, at least one week, if not two weeks. It's just been one thing after another for more than two months. And if they can get over that, I think the, the sense of confidence the team would have would be really remarkable. Remember the conversation we were having last year at this time, though? I mean, this was a team that was incapable, statistically speaking, and then bearing out in the in the in the divisional round that could not win one score games. All they've done during this stretch that you're, you've mentioned, all of these, you know, plates of adversity beginning, you know, maybe not beginning on Thanksgiving, but definitely like really getting ratcheted up on Thanksgiving as Von Miller goes out on that Thanksgiving day game. And then it just seemed to be so much that has been thrown at this team ever since. And they just keep finding ways to win. And I, I know a lot of people were watching that first quarter of that Cincinnati Bengals game. And I think if, you know, I, I'm very, I'm very much going to be interested to see what the line is if that ends up being Cincinnati going to Buffalo, and how team, how you know the the gambling scene views that matchup. But th- I think that battle tested is such a annoying cliche in sports. But at the same time, it's one this year that I feel like really fits the Bills, and they still have the most important player through all of this, and that's Josh Allen. At the end of the day, they might need him to go you know, Superman again, right? But he's shown that he can do that, especially in the playoffs, especially against good defenses. Totally. He's got the best career percentage. I think I saw a tweet today in, uh, in playoff history with minimum, with minimum uh, the best passer rating with a minimum 20 attempts. We kind of, because of everything that happens, you know, there's always the recency bias that we all have in everything in our lives. Uh, but in sports, we have to remember where it left off. And I had reason uh, just yesterday to uh, pull the story. I wrote a, a few weeks after 13 seconds. I'm not sure if that's just the name of it now or not, but, and, and going back and the shame of it, you know, for a number of reasons, uh, certainly the, de- the way it was, the defense was deployed, certainly, but in the way it ruined what Josh Allen was doing, which to that point, he was arcing toward the best playoff in NFL history. Mm-hmm. He just was. I mean, you can say that that's hyperbole because it's just, a, you know, well, what might've happened the next two, three games, well, I think we have a pretty good idea what might have happened. He was playing out of his mind, and that's what he can do when healthy. And I wasn't 100% sure that he his elbow was back. I know he'd been saying for a couple of weeks now that it's fine, it's fine, until we saw those couple of throws, those, those insane touchdown throws um, last Sunday. It was uh, something else to see him make those throws against the Patriots, that flat-footed cross field. I like to – get my little math background because I had one year of failed engineering. I think I might've told you guys in university, I liked everything about it, but the math and the science, that's not quite true. I like the math. 
Uh, I did like the science, but uh, I always like to do the Pythagorean theme. Where are you standing in the field? Because you can measure it, you know, in, in relation to where the ball was caught down the left sideline. You find out how long the hypo- hypotenuse was, and you can actually see how far that thing was in the air. I know all those instant stat electronic places uh, can do it now, next-gen stats and that, but I enjoy sometimes doing that. I haven't done it for that throw, but I think he was on his own 41, and it was caught at the three. So anybody that uh, has wants to put those uh, distances together and, and let us know what that hypotenuse was, that was a hell of a throw for the, the way he was situated. That was an mm-hmm. arm throw. That wasn't a ground up through, step in through the hips and the, his shoulder throws. So he stood still, saw it, and ripped it. And it went right into Diggs's hands. That was one of the throws of the year. I think it was Tony Roma that actually said that in the broadcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was an incredible throw, and that's when I went, okay, he's back. He's he's okay. If he's doing that, then you can expect that he can make any of the throws all over the field, and we know he gets up for these games. It's I'm excited to cover this playoff because you can arguably make – you can make the argument that Josh, he's he's back pumping on all, you know, to use a 70s car term, back on all 12 cylinders. Uh, certainly Mahomes is, and Burrow and the Bengals are because they haven't lost since October – this to me, the next two weeks, uh, af- well, after this week, uh, it, it's presuming everybody gets through. This could be one of the most fun playoffs we've, we've ever seen, just on the AFC side. Sure, and Justin Herbert thrown in there too, potentially. Oh. But you, you know, going to those Josh Allen throws, deep ball to Stefan Diggs, deep ball to John Brown. He also had a deep ball to Gabe Davis that re- you know you could argue should have been completed. Yeah. It didn't end up going through, and that kind of takes us to the super chat here we have from Rory. It says, "Am I crazy that I wanted?" trade Gabe Davis during the offseason and get so frustrated watching him drop balls week after week. First, you might be crazy if you want to trade Gabe Davis. In in my opinion, that's my stance. You know, listen, one, if you get rid of Gabe Davis, who are you replacing him with? That's that's my first stance on this. If you want to push him down to wide receiver three, get him less reps, and you want the Bills to draft a wide receiver early, by all means, I understand that take. I'm okay with something like that. But you don't get rid of someone that is still uh, a reliable target more times than not. I get the drop issue. You saw what he could do last year in the playoffs. Uh, A lot of people were really going after him for this past week's game. I think he ended up with double-digit targets. But it wasn't like they were all on the money. One was an out-of-bounds throw in the end zone. A few of them were over his head or behind him or low. uh, More throwaways. Just because someone has double-digit targets doesn't mean that the balls are all on the money to him either. So while there's been some frustrating drops this year, Absolutely. I won't deny that. Uh, I I think that uh, people will kind of look at the stat line after the game, and that holds a lot of weight for, well, why didn't he catch more than uh, three passes in a game? Why didn't he do this? It's not all on Davis either. So, uh, yes, I would not try to trade Gabe Davis in the offseason. That's just my stance. And, guys, I'd love to hear from you. I agree. I became, especially by the end of that Kansas City game, like a lot of us last year, I think we went, okay, this guy's next-level uh, he, he's past the next level as a wide receiver. I might be wrong here, and I don't want to be irresponsible and start something or uh, say something that wasn't true. But I thought he started this season picking up where he left off in that Chiefs game last January. I really did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I forget what his injury was. Was it ankle? Was ankle. it late September or early October? It was. It was. Uh, I think it was in the first or second game. I can't remember the specifics okay. of it now. I think it might have been in the in the Monday night game. Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. I think you might be right. I thought, you know, just looking at what he had been doing uh, early on to that point, I thought he's left off. He's picked up right where he left off. And then once he came back from that, I think there's a lot of complaints. Uh, You guys would know this better than me. 
by a lot of fans going, he's not getting open, he's not getting open, he's not getting open. And now, of course, the drops went went with it. I always think that athletes that sometimes we just overthink everything. And if somebody's, you know, just somebody toggle switches him up to active, then he's he's ready to go. Um, and no one's ever talking about, you know, these nagging injuries because they all have them. It's something that players don't ever like to do because they don't want to ever be perceived to be a, a faker or a whiner or anything. So, again, I'm not trying to be irresponsible, but I would just wonder if he's not maybe 100% in his mind because a player that is undistracted by limits to his physicality is going to play as well as he can play. And when there's all of a sudden he's not quite himself out there, then you find out, you know, maybe six months from now that, yeah, he had this little thing or that little thing. So I would not be willing to be, you know, unless there's a, some other issue that only uh, the insiders would know on the bills. I would say this guy, you just wait for him to get better. Uh, it, it's going to come back. And when you have him there, we're seeing flashes of it in the last, I'd say, four, five, six weeks compared to the four, five, six weeks before that. We're seeing him rounding into shape and, it's just one of, like we said just a few minutes ago, seven or eight things where you can go, all right, that that's that's now targeting up higher than it was earlier a few weeks ago. This Everything seems to be, you know, all kind of growing and arcing upward. And I would put his play recently in that category. So I got a couple of thoughts on, on Davis because, you know, you look at his stats. First of all, was he injured his, himself in that opening game that he missed? The Titans game. I looked that up as you were talking. Oh, okay. That or- um, he has nine drops on the season, according to Pro Football Reference. Um, only three receivers in the NFL have more. Jamar Chase at 11. Now he's got uh, 134 targets. So um, obviously that that catch percentage is a bit higher than Davis's. Mari Cooper and Zay Jones. It's definitely something where he's he's dropped more passes this season, right? Like it's it's been... I don't want to say necessarily a huge problem. I mean, if you look overall at the at the at the offense, this is a team overall that's now lost its premier one of its premier safeties, one of its premier pass rusher in the season. You know, spent some time uh, without a uh, short time without Tremaine, short time without Matt Milano. They've dealt with injuries on the defensive side of the ball. Their uh, plus minus is you know they've lost three games by a combined eight points. So I think sometimes we conflate like some of these issues and make them bigger deals than they are. Look at a guy like Debo Samuel. I was looking at the side-by-side because actually his name popped out because I was looking at all the, the players that had nine drops and his was one that I was like, hmm, that's interesting. 94 targets. that low. It seems I've watched them all. It must be. <laughs> right, right. Look at, look at Debo St- Samuel's stats on the season. 94 catches, 632 receiving yards, and two touchdowns. And look at the amount of money that the San Francisco 49ers just gave him in a brand new deal. Now he's a different receiver. They play the game different ways. He's kind of like a uh, hybrid. He runs the ball quite a bit. If you added in that production, you have to do that when comparing the two players, but trading Gabe Davis in year four of a rookie contract, a fourth round draft pick is madness. Like that's, you just don't do that. Especially for a guy that has the upside. Has he been a little bit streaky? Sure. But to your point, John, that ankle injury has been a massive problem this year. It's he it's, it's, popped up a couple times. I remember talking to him in late October and the frustration around the injury still being at a very, very high level. And I was watching him very closely today out of practice because I knew we were going to talk about this on the show tonight. And I'm telling you right now, the difference between mid-November to now with the ability to cut in practice, stop on a dime and some of the, you know, just routes versus air, some of the warm-up stuff that they do night and day. It's, he's a completely different player at this stage with ankle injury it's huge and we've seen the upside there not to mention the fact that you know 
Ken Dorsey, we talked to him on Monday and he was asked about this and he said, he's integral to what they do. I know we see the receiving side of it, but you want to look at the uptick in the room over the last couple of weeks. Gabe Davis is a huge part of that. He's always on the field. They ask him to be a full-time blocker. And, you know, I, I, I watched him too after practice on the jugs machine. He was the last one out there. And that's pretty impressive because he even was out there longer than Elam, who I've noticed is the one that is out there after practice every single day, the longest. I almost feel like he's just looking at his watch and making sure everybody's back in the locker room before he decides to leave because he's trying to put in that work, I think. Yeah. Gabe Davis outlasted him today. So he's putting in the work. I think he's the right caliber of guy that you also are comfortable with waiting on, even if you want to call it waiting on, because I still think he had a pretty productive third season. And, yeah. and guys, what about, just one little quick thing, sorry, Brian. What happens when you're injured? You're not breaking free as much, and maybe he he does. Maybe those drops. I don't know. You guys might think of them now, but I'll bet most of them when were when he was more tightly covered than he might otherwise have been if he was 100 percent healthy. And, and listen, there's something to be said too about players who step up in the playoffs. And everyone, the the Chiefs game is fresh in everyone's memory, rightfully so, four touchdowns. But in 2020, the Bills don't beat the Colts without Gabe Davis and those sideline catches that he mm. made when this that offense was stalled out. He had so many big catches and playoff moments in his young career that I can't sit here and doubt him going into this Miami game, going into a game the week after that if the Bills defeat Miami and so on and so forth. He's stepped up in the biggest of, of moments, uh, and he kind of deserves the benefit of the doubt based on what he's been dealing with this year with injuries and based on what we've seen from him in his young career. I want to I want to talk about some big picture stuff. I think that puts – you know, bow on uh, wide receiver too. I, I, I think it's, listen, I think as a wide receiving group, a, a pass catching group outside of Stefan Diggs, the bills are going to need more, but I think that they, you know, I tweeted out a video today and it's crazy because I remember, you know, as we were approaching the trade deadline and people talking about, you know, the bills were banged up. They ended up going and signing John Brown and Cole Beasley and, you know, wanting Odell Beckham Jr. Right. That's something we covered on this podcast for months. It felt like, you know, all of a sudden you look at that wide receiving room and it's, it's super deep. I mean, John Brown comes in off the couch and, you know, five, six weeks later, he's catching one of the most impressive touchdown passes of the season from Josh Allen. And, you know, that comes down to also the history he has with him. Don't forget that 2019 year that he had with him. I mean, you had to know Josh in that moment, be able to kind of run the scramble drill and, you know, find a way to get open. That's, it's invaluable this time of year. So I think wide receiver, I, I think they'll be all right. I think they got some depth there. Jameson Crowder returns to practice well today. Talk more about that in a bit. Let's talk about Tua real quick um, before we transition to some big picture stuff. News out of Miami today that Tua Tagovailoa has been ruled out. He, um, it's, it's looking like Teddy Bridgewater is going to do everything he can do to play. He's got that broken pinky, I believe, which is going to make it really hard to throw the ball. So it looks like they're going to roll with Skylar Thompson. Really tough spot for Miami to be in. How have you observed, John, them Miami after you know maybe bungling a few of these situations too early in the season, handled this, and now seemingly, whether it be for optics or for the players, you know, well-being, seem to be opting on the side of caution. I mean, uh, another concussion this year for Tua would be horrible, horrible look for the league and the Dolphins. Great point. You summed it up very nicely there. You know, this is his officially second concussion, right? Because that one against the Bills was uh, a back issue. Whatever it was, you can't fool the public in the eye test. What people saw, people are going to believe what they saw on TV. And, you know, most of us look, let's figure that he was concussed three times this year. You're right. That would be just a, a horrible look. And I'm sure the NFL isn't telling the Dolphins what to do. 
That said, the Dolphins don't want to be the team, the first team that plays a guy who was concussed four times in one season or three, whatever it ends up being by official count. The the interesting thing about uh, Tua, and there's a bunch, but you know, I think a lot of us were going as September went by, going, oh, okay, he didn't revert revert to old Tua this week, and then he was great again. Then he was great again. Then he had the thing at Cincinnati, uh, Buffalo, and Cincinnati. He comes back, picks up where he left off. You know, how many games did did he go to start the season? In games that he finished, he was like, what was it, eight and zero, nine and zero, something like that, like that. And then now, suddenly, since you know U.S. Thanksgiving. We say that in Canada, right? We don't just yep. call it Thanksgiving. <laughs> Sorry if that offended anybody. No, um, not at all. Good. Okay. Uh, because, you know, my dad, I worked, I lived in Windsor and my dad worked in Detroit. So I always, my dad was always home on the last Thursday of, of uh, November, but always had to work on the second Monday in October, which is what Canadian Thanksgiving is. So I get it. <laughs> but, but since then, Miami hasn't won. They're winless since the end of November. And I believe his touchdown to interception ratio was six to five. Well, it was, you know, the best in the league through until he got hurt and for a long time after he came back. And he's completed 52.5% of his passes since the end of November. So something is definitely up. People are either uh, covering them differently or uh, whatever it is, he's at a mental wall, whatever you want to call it. I'm just saying that if he suddenly were able to play this week, um, I still wouldn't have a lot of faith that they're going to do all those things that in September and October especially we don't know the health of uh, Tyreek Hill after he limped off against the Jets last week. Um, it, it's He still, I guess, you'd have to end the season now uh, as the off-season analysis and discussion is going to be, he's still an enigma. He still is. How can you look at those last five games and, uh, and, and say that, well, that was an anomaly. If it was one or two weeks, even three, maybe, but he's fact is he's ended the season on a downer and, uh, that's something that, you know, uh, Mike McDaniel, the coach, is I'm sure going to have to talk with ownership about, you know, is he the guy? You know, are we going to reward him? It sure looked in September or October, even early November, that Dolphins are going to pay him. Well, now what do they do? What do you guys think? I don't know. No, it's a great point. And, and you know, I don't want to say there was a, an absolute blueprint to stopping uh, the Dolphins because he still had some games statistically that looked good on paper, but it, it was taking away the middle of the field. That's where he throws predominantly. He doesn't throw to the you know, to the sidelines much. It's in the middle of the field. And if you can drop your guys in and, and clog up those lanes or even just anticipate where he's going to throw, uh, you started to see teams do that. Uh, in terms of the health of the player, you know, uh, it was obviously very scary to see him get that, the first concussion or the undiagnosed concussion than what happened in Cincinnati. But even maybe what was the scariest is about the Green Bay game. He hits his head again, spotters somehow miss it, plays the rest of the game, three interceptions in the fourth quarter. And the next day, it's revealed that he couldn't recall some of the plays uh, in which he threw those interceptions. So you worry about his health long term. And he's been in the concussion protocol, I believe, since the day after that Packers game. Yeah. And, and the fact that he hasn't advanced since either stage two or stage three, he is doing some kind of workout, Mike McDaniel said on Monday. Uh, he said he saw him perspiring. Uh, so that means he's past that first step at least. But he, he can't get on the field at this point. So, yeah. I mean, in terms of the safety of the player, shutting him down for the year is what's in the best interest of him. And if the Dolphins are somehow able to pull off an upset, you know, maybe there is a chance he comes back. That was his goal to come back for the playoffs. But the the health of the player, first and foremost, is what's most important in terms of the play. You're right. There's still a lot of questions about him as a player. He anticipates very well. 
Uh, he showed that when you give him some weapons, he can move the ball. Like, But like you said, beginning of the year compared to what we saw late in the year, it, it was kind of night and day. There were, there were a lot more blemishes on his game later in the year than what we saw early on. And po- possibly, I mean, again, I don't like to be reckless, but I mean, maybe he hasn't been the same quarterback since the concussions. I mean, that's mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of concussion doctors and doing uh, some concussion uh, special investigation series in that uh, last decade. And they will tell you that, you know, the, the concern about the return to play and why there's even these protocols is because you don't want them to suffer another one mm-hmm. soon because you are more susceptible soon. And there's this thing that, you know, is called uh, uh, not just post-concussion syndrome where, you know, it takes a long time, maybe a year for some. Like you would, wouldn't it be a shame if he or anybody that you know, let alone an NFL athlete, were to go back to what they do, suffer that second or third concussion, and that's the one that takes you out for a long time because right. I've read stories of athletes that are still crying in a ball in the dark a year later. You know, you don't want that to happen to him or anyone. And I believe that the Dolphins are being very smart that way. It isn't so much can he play. It's what if I think the decision has to be what they've made. Isn't so much can he play as what happens if he gets concussed again. And it's not because of PR, what it looked bad, but what it might do to him. Maybe just give the kid, you know, the whole offseason, his whole non-contact in the spring practices the OTAs and and training camp maybe just let him go through that until the next preseason game and you give him a handful of snaps and then it's till September till he has to risk such a hit again if I'm the Miami Dolphins owner or the coach or GM you know I yeah how, how important is losing this playoff game a tough to win playoff game you know however you look at it uh, going to be compared to what the possible negative could be to play Great stuff on that. And uh, we, we will f- continue to follow the tool to a storyline all off season. Um, I think it's going to be interesting. And you know, I think one thing they're going to have to really figure out um, with him as their quarterback moving forward is they got to do more on their offensive line. Also, that's a big piece of this too. You know, when he gets hit, whether it be concussion related or not, he's not the same guy. Yeah. And there's been just times this year when he's been under siege. When, and, you know, you asked a good question a little bit, and I want to move to the next topic, but you asked a good question about, you know, what happened after that really good start of eight or nine wins where, you know, all of his stats were just measurably, you know, better. He, they also started to play better defenses. That was a big part of it as well. I mean, you, you go up against the San Francisco 49ers defense and things change real, real quickly. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, big picture stuff here. 
when you came on in July, it's this perfect juxtaposition now because we're we're now moving right into the postseason. You're, you get to talk before the real the start of the regular season, and now beside the, uh, before the postseason. You know, some of the things we were talking about is just these these grand expectations for a team that you know I felt was at a place where they've gone through enough trying times, like um, you know, championship building experiences, to be ready to you know take that next step in some of those big games. And they go out and they add Von Miller. And we talk so much in detail about what that potentially mean. Now we get to January football and they won't have Von Miller. And I guess my big picture, like how do how have things changed for your expectations for the Bills from then to now, knowing what we know, the season that we've watched, now the players that are and aren't in the mix? First thing I'll say in answering that is what happened in early November. And I think, you know, you guys uh, experienced it probably as, as much or more than anybody in the way that you're relating with the, the Bills fan base. And that is everybody kind of lost their mind for a couple of weeks there when the Bills lost those two games in a row. And in the manner, the same old Bills blow it at the end manner that so many fans. And I can say that because my direct boss lives and dies with the Bills totally. And one of my best friends does as well. And I'm talking them both off the ledge. I mean, not to be too crass about it, but, you know, oh, that's just us. That's it. You know. Josh Arm's screwed now, and blah. And it was like, hang on. And I actually wrote a piece. Uh, I've got a, I've got it here. If it, if this isn't too rude to look off to the side, November fourteenth. And the the lead was it was my Monday after piece that I write on Mondays. I said, take a chill pill, you overreacting Bills fans. <laughs> and it was just yeah. because, you know, the Bills at the time uh, had lost two in a row. And I said to read social media postings from that team's fan base, you'd think that you know it, it was twelve in a row. Um, and I think though that's to circle back to your question, that's where the mindset was in July and going into the season is that the Bills were on this upward arc, maybe even more. They were on a springboard in the offseason and everybody just, especially after seeing what happened in the first couple of weeks, you know, destroying the defending champion. And the next week, they're one of the top AFC teams, the previous year's number one, destroying them on the Monday night. Why? And then you beat the Chiefs in early October. It's like, I wonder if everybody's mindset was hit the fast forward button like we used to do, you know, the, the scrub button on the old cassette decks and just get to the playoffs, just get to where we are today, right? And, and you know, though, every team, though, as I wrote, this is what I wrote in that piece is that, you know, everybody's kind of guilty of that recency bias, which is existing entirely at the mercy of the moment is how I described it without any, without the proper perspective. The Bills were six and three after that Vikings game. but. At the time, because you've just lost the last two games, you're thinking they're going to finish. They might not win the division now because Miami was close at that time. New England was starting to play better, right? They just blown out Detroit and all that. And so I'm, 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 people are thinking, what's the worst case scenario? Is that, you know, we're the second wild card out of our own division. You know, if we keep on going like this and with Josh, Josh's elbow, blah, blah, blah. So they got over that. Of course, they haven't lost. And, you know, as you mentioned that Detroit victory earlier on, on Thanksgiving, See, I didn't call it U.S. Thanksgiving. Um, Detroit, as it turned out, that one was even better than anybody yeah. thought at the time. Right. They finished eight and two. You know, I did the half season standings, and I'll I'll, I'll, I'll just get. Would anybody have believed after that Vikings game that the Bills would finish with the fourth best record in the NFL from the sec in the second half of the season? It was eighteen weeks, so the second nine weeks, the Bills uh, were seven and one. Could have been tied with Casey if they'd beaten, had a chance to beat Cincinnati at eight and one. And the only two teams better than that were nine and zero San Francisco and eight and zero Cincinnati. 
Mm-hmm. So the Bills ended up being exactly who the Bills are. I mean, on right. a roll overcoming all of those. How many how many series of obstacles from that loss to Minnesota yeah. did the Bills have to endure to the point where people are saying Sean McDermott deserves coach of the year, not just for what he's done on the field, but you know, one of the toughest job any head coach in the league has ever had to uh, a team through all within jammed within what a six, seven, eight week period. Right. Um, they're doing okay compared to what everybody thought, if not better than, you know, if you, if somebody would have told you back in July that they're going to have to encounter this, 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 this between November and early January, um, you'd go, they're not going to finish 13 and three when that one with a shortened schedule, they did. So I think uh, we, all of us who were jumping on them or not, I might've been jumping on them a little bit earlier than that for other reasons, but I think we all need to go back and, give that team a hat tip of the hat and go, you know what? They're, they're grizzled and they've got metal and they're ready. Yeah. I, I think that's a great point. And you know, like you said, the 13 wins is not easy in the, in the NFL, especially when you're playing a first place schedule, which the bills have done. Uh, some teams can kind of sneak to those double digit wins based on where they were the previous year. It's a softer schedule. The bills do not have a soft schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played some of the best teams in this league. Uh, and like you said, they, they've shown that playoff resolve. They've shown that they're ready to go. The only the, the major concern that I have for this team going into the playoffs yeah. is I think their pass yeah. rush is in a similar spot than one year ago. Uh, without Von Miller in that lineup, I, I feel like there's not been enough from them. Greg Rousseau is better than last year uh, in terms of his production, in terms of what we've seen. But is it enough? Last week's game is a, a good point. They get a sack early on in the game, and then after that, there were two other quarterback hits, a second by Rousseau and one by A.J. Epinesa. They have trouble getting home with their front four, especially at, off the edge. And that's something where, you know, the Bills might need something like that come playoff time. Yeah. And, you know, I know everyone, it's it's hard not to uh, to just focus on the game at hand, I guess, if you're a Bills fan. And I'm certainly even, and I know a lot of other people are looking ahead to the next two weeks. But let's not forget about what just happened to Cincinnati. They've lost their right tackle, Wild Collins. And didn't the Bills didn't have a chance to exploit it. Uh, obviously, that game was shortened. And then this past week, I'm sure John Harbaugh and his defensive coaches didn't want to tip all their cards of what they would possibly show if there was a rematch. And, of course, there is seven days later at the same stadium. Uh, that's where they're playing this coming Sunday night, the Ravens. I will be real interested to watch that game. And if you want to sit at home, folks, with a little counter of how many sacks or pressures Joe Burrow gets in that game, compared to before Collins got hurt, uh, I believe it was the week before uh, they played Buffalo. That, that to me, is an important point because everything about Joe Burrow we, we have seen the past two seasons is you give him time and he will dissect you. That's, I mean, that, that's not overstatement. That's just a fact. In the first few games this season, especially the first two, he sacked 13 times uh, after the Dallas game, after week two with the losses. You want to beat Cincinnati? you get to Joe Burrow. I think that's number one. And whatever number two is, it's way distant down the, down the way. You mm-hmm. get pressure on him. How much of a factor that, you know, once his line came together and gelled with three new starters, um, by the time they gelled together at the end of October, after that awful Monday night loss on against Cleveland, at Cleveland, they haven't lost. And if you look at the corresponding sacks going down there, uh, pro football reference, and you just see sack, 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 lots at the top, and it's one to two a week, some weeks none since then. So now that the right tackle's out and the Bills can have a few weeks to figure out what to do, 
if I'm the Bills, when they're starting on the tape, uh, if they beat Miami after that, I'm going to think that they're going to see what the Ravens really want to do this coming Sunday night because they're unafraid. They've Before this year, they led the league in, in blitzing. And I know it was a different defensive coordinator, but the previous two years, that tells you that, you know, John Harbaugh si- signing off on that. And if they're going to that game going, we've got Tyler Huntley at quarterback or Anthony Brown, whoever ends up doing it, our only chance is to make this a 16-13 game. How do we keep them under 20? We blitz the snot out of Joe Burrow. So I'm going to be interested to see how they do it and what uh, possibly uh, cracks that's going to reveal, how many cracks, because it's going to hurt their offensive line, Cincinnati's without Collins. I'm really excited and interested to see what do they do and how well do they protect Joe Burrow in that situation. I love I love this conversation. Somebody in the chat's like, "Why are we talking about a game that may never occur?" Playoffs, because that's what the playoffs are all about, Kevin. Uh, I, I think projecting this thing long term, especially with the way that this game is setting up now, we will always have your preview show on Friday. So stay tuned if you want to deep dive into Bills versus Dolphins this weekend. But I, I think it's super interesting because somebody asked me in an interview in the last two days about this Baltimore Cincinnati matchup. And if it's just like, uh, you know, scratch it out, move on to the next week. And it's uh, you don't have to even worry about it. And it's like, I wouldn't be so quick to move in that direction. This is a team, the Ravens that are going to be playing with absolutely zero to lose in this game. Everybody expects them to get smashed. Um, If you get Huntley to be able to play, the problem is you may not even be able to a healthy quarterback. Huntley's dealing with a shoulder issue. Apparently he hasn't thrown a ball all week. Lamar Jackson doesn't look like he's on track to play. So you could be going with this Anthony Brown again, who obviously has his struggles. But to your point, Lyle Collins is out. Alex Kappa, it's going to be really, quote unquote, tough for him to play. Their star right guard who they brought over. That's a huge problem on the right side of the line that the you know, Baltimore Ravens could completely try to um, take advantage of in this matchup. So I think it's going to be a super fun one to watch. Let's dial it back to the Bills here for a second. You know, so Kevin doesn't flame us in the comments. You know, one of the things that you talked about, uh, I went back and listened to you, you know, that July episode was the interesting trajectory of the top storyline in your idea, which was this secondary and specifically the cornerback room with Trey coming back and then also them drafting Kyrie Elam, finally using a first round pick and how that was going to materialize. And it's interesting because I've maintained throughout the season, I've been really puzzled at the Bills approach with Elam Um, when he's been healthy. You know, they didn't start him to start the season. They they started a six-round rookie over their first-round pick, which I always think is a very curious idea, you know, just from a confidence perspective. Because, you know, I get wanting everybody to earn things, but I never felt like, even in training camp when Benfer was playing well, I never thought that he was so leaps and bounds above Elam that it made a ton of sense. So to me, it always felt like it was a message that needed to be sent. Meanwhile, I sit here and watch Kyrie Elam, and it looks like he is just all about ball all the time. He's always in his playbook. He's always working. He's always studying. So it just never really made a lot of sense to me. And then we watch this entire season and how it's played out. And, you know, I think he's started and played a full game, maybe three or four times this year. And now we're in a situation where when you have three guys at one spot, do you really have one? And is that going to be a problem opposite Trey White, who still, he had an interception last week, and that's really good news, but it hasn't been the Trey White that the Bills you know, remember from before the injury. So now we're sitting here like, all right, what do they really have at corner? And, you know, the Trey White thing is what I think we talked about is, uh, if I recall, because I haven't gone back to listen to it, but, you know, the injury experts will tell you that uh, any player at a skill position where twisting and turning and bursting, which, of course, is entirely what the cornerback does, 
you know, running back, wide receiver, th- those are tough positions to come back and just be your best again, where what everybody rem- remind, remembers you as. Darrell Revis was never remotely the same player again after he tore his ACL, if you recall, after 2011 or 12, whenever that was. So, yeah, I mean, and the fact that it took so long for him to get back on the field, a player, a, a quarterback has to have confidence. You know, you have to have supreme confidence because if you're just kind of confident, maybe that's is part of Elam's story too. I don't know. But if you don't have supreme confidence where you just get burned for a 50-yard gain and you did your best and it still wasn't good enough, you just flush that down the toilet and you got to go out there the next game. The best cornerbacks do that. You are still my you-know-what and you're not going to catch another pass on me the rest of the game. They catch another <laughs> pass. You are still my you-know-what you're not going to catch. That's the attitude they have to have. And you can't just – have it by saying I'm going to have it. You've got to, you know, it's like with everything with confidence. Conf- confidence comes from demonstration. You know, you have to demonstrate it in practice and then believe it in your mind. Believe it. And, you know, I'm not trying to get inside the head of these cornerbacks, but I'm just saying that it took a while for us to see Trey. And, you know, he wasn't himself at the beginning. He would probably tell you in a year from now or two years from now, yeah, I wasn't the same, but I was good enough to go out and play uh, and play well. I mean, I think we saw that this past week. It's when you're going to go against, you know, the likes of what type of receivers he might face this week, certainly. Uh, and next week, most likely, and the week after that, those are going to be challenges for everybody in the Bills secondary. I mean, nobody's shutting these guys down. But the the, the three quarterback, cornerback head, as you call it, or whatever. Um, yeah, the, but you know what? That's a, almost a tribute, I think, to, you know, as much as we were all over Sean and, and Leslie after that Chiefs loss last year. They've done a pretty good job of patching things together this year, especially as you said a little earlier, Matt, with the defensive line. You know, with you know, Settle, Oliver, all those guys that were going through that spate of of weeks in a row. Where who's who are they going to start? You know, who are they going to activate on Saturday? Was the big big you know which D, which D line men, not man, are they going to are they going to elevate on the Saturday? Right, just to try to get through a, another week. They've got to piece together things pretty well, and uh, overall, that secondary is playing. Uh, I think much better than maybe we thought if we were told, you know, that Trey wouldn't really be playing until December. Um, back in July, I think we'd go, you know what? They've done a pretty good job of piecing it, piecing it together. You know, and it's funny, Matt, you said if they have three outside cornerbacks, so they really have one. Well, they might have four pretty soon now that Christian Benford's been at reactivated, and, and that complicates things a little bit too. Kyrie Lim is the, the one mystery for me, though. I went back and I watched last week's game, and I thought he actually played a really good game when he was on the field. I know he gave up one touchdown, I believe, to Devontae Parker. Uh, he was in good position there. I just think he he kind of overran the ball. But overall, I thought, really nice game for the rookie. Uh, the Bills drafted him based on those athletic traits, being able to keep up with those uh, speedsters. They drafted him for the size, the ball skills. Uh, you, you, you know, You've seen flashes of it, but you mentioned it. It's been hard to get him on the field consistently. Now, it, he cut into Dane Jackson's snaps a little bit this past week. It was, I think, 39-29 in favor of Jackson. But we're at least starting to see some some improved snap counts in his favor. Trey White, uh, not the same player as mentioned, but he did have three pass defense a few weeks ago. He had the interception last week. There's at least some flashes there, some signs of that old Trey White back in you know, Dane Jackson, as much as he's bashed on by this fan base, he has come up. He has made plays this year uh, since last year, honestly, since Trey White went down. He stepped into a big role that uh, was seemingly impossible to fill the shoes of a Trey White. And I think he's done a decent job or a good job, maybe, based on where he was drafted, what you, the expectations were for him going into the year last year and what they were this year. 
So they have a lot of guys. It's just about piecing it together in these playoff matchups, getting the best matchups out there on the field. I'm hoping to see Kyrie Elam, though, specifically see a bigger role come the postseason. I totally agree, Ryan, with with uh, with Dane. I I think he does get beat up too much because it's just a cornerback. It's it, it's a position that they probably you know quote unquote lose one v one matchups just by the nature of the rules and the way things yeah. are set up in the league. And I think what to your point about you know Brandon Bean, who you know what can, what bad can you say what he's done as a job in his job, you know he's getting speedy corners because he saw a month earlier before the draft that, all right, now Miami has Waddle and Tyreek Hill for the next few years. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> we're going to get, we're going to get fast corners who are athletic and, and can move around. Yeah. That's what you should do. Uh, exactly. That's what you should do. So, you know, and they're going to probably play a pretty safe, deep defense and as well, they should, they don't want to get beat, you know, look at how Baltimore played them and how they got beat, you know, would Baltimore play the dolphins differently if they should happen to play them? <laughs> yeah, they sure would. Um, giving up all those long past touchdowns and, and gainers uh, in the last quarter and a half back in September and that huge comeback for the Dolphins. But yeah, I think the Bills ha- are going about it the right way. Get young guys who are going to grow and they're growing in the scheme that these guys have, which does work outside of last 13 seconds in Kansas City. And it's going to be something where they can, uh, I think, take that next step next year because Trey White will be a lot better again next year. Another you know, nine months uh, healed from that ACL. Uh, I, I did want to get into some of the DeMar Hamlin stuff, but, you know, we've spent so much time talking about it over the course of the last week that I do feel like with him kind of making the um, recovery that he has, I, I just feel like, you know, you even sense it in the building today. Like people have just like kind of let it take this deep breath. Right. And like, let it, let it just kind of rest a little bit because it was such a heavy, heavy week. Um, and we'll have to bring you on uh, again soon to talk about it because I do think that there's a lot to look into from a league perspective. I mean, there's been some really interesting reports here over the last couple of days about how it was handled on the day of the game. And you mentioned Sean McDermott for coach of the year. I mean, for him to kind of lead the charge and, and handle that game the right way, I, I don't think there's a, you know, something that, you know, uh, a notch on his resume that, you know, speaks higher to, you know, being coach of the year than maybe how he handled everything involved in that situation. Uh, but maybe a conversation for a different day. Sure. Let everybody know um, where they can find your work on a weekly basis uh, over there in uh, in Canada where you where you celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> TorontoSun.com is one of them. Uh, Post Media is the company that I work for and it owns most big dailies across the country. So I probably shouldn't be saying this, but, you know, if you uh, go to CalgarySun.com or OttawaSun.com, you could probably still get in there before the paywall comes and smacks you in the nose. Uh, and, and so um, you, you can follow me at, at John Crick, J-O-H-N-K-R-Y-K, Crick. Um, and and uh, you can also sign up for my newsletter. So if you go to the TorontoSun.com, it'll show you. Uh, if you just go to the newsletter section, you can click on that. And every Wednesday at 2.30 in the afternoon, you get my picks during the season and then other uh, different types of uh, uh, content that I have, which sometimes isn't always uh, electronic friendly or something. You wouldn't write a story like I did in my newsletter today about these are all the opponents for all teams uh, because we know them except for the dates now uh, for 2023. But, you know, if you get signed up my newsletter, sometimes I'll just put in long uh, pieces of, uh, of newsy type like that that will help you at one-stop shop. You just flip to your team. There it is. Um, and then in the off-season takes, I have all kinds of things and preview the divisions over eight weeks uh, every uh, June, July. 
uh, I guess May, late May to, to, to June and July. And uh, if you sign up for it, it's free. Comes into your email. You don't have to pay for it. You're not going to get any other bogus emails. Just once a week, it's in your inbox. So thanks for letting me say that. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Check out John Crick and all his work. Uh, we'll have you back on again soon. Have a, a great night. And I hope see you next week for uh, uh, hopefully a playoff game. In Buffalo. Yes, I hope to be there. That would be great. Guys, thanks for having me on. This is always a lot of fun. Helps me formalize some of my thoughts too, uh, which you'll probably see in some of my stories soon. So thanks. This is beautiful. Great. Thanks, John. Take care. Thanks, guys. All right, Ryan. You were in town this last weekend. We obviously covered the game at Highmark Stadium. The night before, we were out at Wingnuts where the party was awesome. It just so happened to be, you know, coinciding with the Sabres game. So the, there was a really great energy with the live audience watching the game. And uh, we did a live podcast. Uh, we did a podcast. It wasn't live. Um, but we decided we're going to change things up. We're going to go back in two weeks. We're going to do a live show. Again, this time it's going to actually streamline. But we want everybody to come out and join us um, because it was such a fun time. The food was great. The beers were great. Tell everybody about why they should come out on January 27th. Wow. Bill, uh, Bill's brews and some of the best chicken wings that you will ever have in your life. There's three reasons right there. And then, oh, by the way, shout, you know, a live podcast. Get out there Friday, January 27th, Wingnuts Buffalo. Like Matt said, outstanding time. Um, we had the, the mild wings. We had some other wings, some fries. Uh, my son ordered the barbecue wings. And, you know, they, they did say, like, any chicken wings, sometimes when, you, when they bring them home, they're not the same. They were still excellent the next day. I had some of uh, my son Owen's uh, barbecue wings, and they were still phenomenal. So outstanding food, outstanding just environment and time that we had there. Uh, big shout-out to all the Bills Mafia members that came. Uh, they asked questions. They visited with us before and after the podcast. Uh, make sure that uh, you don't miss it for our second pod, January 27th. Yeah, and we're uh, so excited to get back over there. It's going to be a semi-regular thing. It might even be monthly thing. We're, we're putting together some maybe some off-season shows. But again, January uh, 27th, it's a Friday night. It'd be before the AFC Championship game. The Bills are eliminated before then. It's going to be a season wrap-up show and kind of first look into the offseason. And, hey, you're going to need to, uh, if the Bills do end up losing before then, you know, why not uh, meet together as a community, uh, ha have some good times, uh, share some laughs, share some stories. We're actually doing a cool little um, thing, too, where we're going to get some stickers, I think, made out. So everybody that comes for the Shout Podcast, they're going to get a sticker. So Ryan and I know, like, you know, it's a big place. Like, we're, we'll be walking around. There'll be people kind of in the area where we do the show. But we want to make sure that we, you know, have a conversation with everybody that comes out to support the show, support us, meet us. We want to have, uh, you know, talk bills with all of you. So it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, I can't speak highly enough about the experience there. Already looking forward to this next event. Speaking of looking forward to it, I mean, you should be looking forward to setting up your tailgate spread for this weekend. And the only place to go to get everything that you need is the Topps Carryout Cafe. Good for your game day tailgating spread or anything that you have to do to host a party. Hot to go fresh large cheese and pepperoni pizza right now is $14. The jumbo chicken wings, 10 count, $14. Legendary breakfast pizza, Large get you uh, get you a large for twenty dollars. Pizza or taco log six count seven sixty nine. Baby back rib sections five ninety nine a pound. Sub sandwiches wraps apps sides so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone for the complete menu of ready to enjoy fan favorites. The Miami Dolphins are banged up. We are going to bring you everything 
uh, on this game on Friday. So do not miss this show. We'll be live at 3.30. We might have another guest too. If not, it'll just be, be me and Ryan breaking this thing down. We can't wait. It's going to be such a fun weekend covering this game. Uh, Ryan's coming back to town, right? Yeah. It's going to be I'll another be big, uh, big Rhino weekend. Remember when Kennedy used to call you Rhino? I do. I do. I yeah. loved it. Yeah. She's she's moved on from that. She's uh, she's she's gotten a little older and she's lost that magic. But I think we, can, we need to bring that back. I, I'm all for it. All right. For Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. See you guys on Friday. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.